You're listening to the Body Literacy Podcast, your connection to the art and science of feeling really good body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host and holistic health coach, Jen Mayo. If you've never experienced truth and freedom inside your body, an amazing adventure is about to begin. Healing happens in community. Body literacy is your tribe. Join me in discovering the keys to fearlessly unlocking your body's innate intelligence and resilience. Turn on to the wisdom of your body as we connect your wellness dots by exploring whole person healing from neuroscience and nutrition to sexual health and sleep. Join the wellness revolution and start speaking your body's language. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the most profound and impactful piece of health technology I've encountered in three decades of navigating my own health challenges. LifeWave is a wearable health technology that uses your own light energy to optimize your health. If you've followed the Body Literacy Podcast for any period of time, you likely already know that I'm a bit of a walking science experiment. I have a passion for exploring how time-honored ancient healing arts can be coupled with modern science and technology to optimize our health, wellness, and vitality, and how we can empower ourselves with the knowledge and optimization of our own onboard wisdom and healing potential rather than viewing the human body as a problem to be solved. LifeWave's phototherapy patches use light to stimulate the body's natural healing systems. By applying LifeWave's non-transdermal patches to specific points on the body similar to acupressure, where the patch covers the skin, infrared light emitted from the body is reflected back into the tissue, stimulating specific regions of the brain and tapping into the body's own flow of energy and the ability to heal itself. LifeWave patches are not intended to treat any specific condition or disease, but rather support the body's own innate healing mechanisms. When we take a holistic approach to health and consider there is really only one state of dis-ease in the body imbalance, rather than the 32,000 diseases defined by conventional medicine, rebalancing the body and supporting our own built-in capacity to heal becomes a journey of ease rather than a frustrating and disempowering struggle to control dis-ease. Energy medicine operates by a different set of rules than material medicine. I talk about experience-based medicine a lot, and LifeWave is simply a therapy you have to take for a test drive to feel the benefits for yourself. To learn more or try them out, just visit genmayo.com slash LifeWave. Kalita Malouf joins me for a provocative exploration of dance and performance art as a tool for root cause healing. Kalita is a performing and teaching artist, embodiment facilitator, and conscious burlesque mentor known lovingly as the showgirl shaman. Queen of Carnival, San Francisco 2008, and five-time finalist at the Burlesque Hall of Fame, Kalita founded award-winning dance troupe Hot Pink Feathers in 2000. In 2010, she created her signature program, Burlesque from the Inside Out, which guides participants to birth a custom, soul-sourced burlesque act, witnessed in a safe and sacred container being fully seen unapologetically as themselves. In Burlesque from the Inside Out, Kalita's experience as a dancer and choreographer dovetail with her experience as a tender and safe space holder and her experience as a practitioner of modalities such as transformational NLP, EFT, systemic constellations, and interpersonal neurobiology. Kalita works at the intersection where burlesque dance meets depth psychology, meets attachment theory, meets individuation, meets autoimmune recovery, meets spirituality. 
For over 20 years, she's been helping kind, soulful, highly sensitive helpers who have been over-editing, over-managing, and over-giving, and are attracted to dance, theater, expressive arts, performance, and glitter. To trust and express themselves with confidence, presence, and radiance. Kalita's mission is to support folks in dusting off the fountain of self-love that was hiding right in the center of their very own shimmy. Welcome to the podcast, Kalita. So happy to be here with you, Jen. Yes. The title, The Body Literacy Podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where it all starts. So I'll just kind of give a brief introduction on how we connected. I was actually looking up or reviewing an online Tantra class that I was thinking about attending and your program popped up as something that I might also be interested in because all the social media gods know everything about us now. And I thought like, how wonderful this is. So I started looking into it further and you offer a program called Burlesque from the inside out, correct? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. So I also teach sort of a series of retreats where we use pole dancing and belly dance as the framework for teaching what I call nervous system fitness and use that kind of as the launching point for understanding permission to heal and how physical movement is imperative to going through a root cause healing process. So I'll also give a little background story and hopefully my ex-husband is not listening to this, but so I, when we were in the throes of saving our, our marriage at the end, we went to this like marriage workshop in um, Seattle and I took him to a burlesque show (laughs) and he had no idea what that was. So he didn't even know what he was signing up for when I took him and I got a few drinks in him. It was all good, but can you, can you tell our audience what exactly is burlesque? Oh, I love that. That you just excellent. Starting with, with that question. I mean, we could, we could talk for weeks about it, but this is my current favorite definition. Okay. Burlesque is when a, when an artist takes the stage, mm-hmm. magic happens. Okay. And this artist leaves the stage with more of their radiant essence, visible mm-hmm. and tangible, both to themselves and to those who were lucky enough to witness them. Oh, I love that. That's such a beautiful description. Can you talk a little bit more about how you developed this program and why it's about more than performance and more than teaching a technique or style of of dance or performance? Absolutely. And, you know, I'll start very personally. I, I started performing burlesque in, my goodness, 2000. (laughs) Wow. 22 years ago. (laughs) And I, at first I was in, you know, I was intuitively prior to that. Even I knew that dance would be a healing path for Mm -hmm. me long, long before I ever knew what burlesque was. Oh, there's so many, so many forks to go here. I'm just going (laughs) to just discern which, which fork is going to lead us in the most satisfying way to to this answer of, and you always, Jen, feel free to come in and guide me because this is, this is the territory that I, you know, I swim in (laughs) as you can imagine, but it was basically, it was, it was my own knowing that Mm -hmm. to heal my own, I'm going to give these terms, boom, boom, trauma and drip, 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 trauma. 
Okay. Which I will translate. Boom boom trauma is shock trauma. Yep. And drip drip trauma is developmental or or complex, like complex PTSD. Terms that are actually CPTSD, complex PTSD is just now coming to be a term that is getting accepted and going to be in the DSM four and all of the five or wherever we are in that. Wherever we are, yeah. Wherever we are in that book. But I didn't, I know it's, it might seem like a big thing, but I honestly didn't actually understand. I didn't know that it was primarily the drip, drip trauma mm-hmm. that I was drawn to dance and embodied performance to heal. I only knew, I only knew at that point about boom, boom. And I knew that I'd had trauma through sexual experience. And that's mm-hmm. what I thought that I was coming to dance to, to heal, mm-hmm. but it really was more, I didn't even think in those terms. I thought in the terms of I'm missing myself and I've been missing myself for a long, long time. And that some form of dance was going to help me reorient to actually live in my body again mm-hmm. and to be sovereign and present and associated in my body. And so after trying a whole number of forms, ballet, oh, that was really tricky, big ballet divorce. (laughs) And then modern dance, it was really great that I was moving and engaging. But I mean, look at this face, like my smile stuck out that it was not my movement vocabulary. And Mm -hmm. And it, I didn't even actually, at first, when I started Hot Pink Feathers, which was the first expression of my professional work with dance, mm-hmm. it was a troupe and we were performing. It was through, it was through the, the shimmies and the heart opening big victory V sashaying across the room that I actually, I began and it was, it was very quick to feel like, Oh my gosh, these, these movements, which I practiced for a whole decade in the context of the dance company, creating like 50 different choreographies for a troupe and many solos with what, when I looked in retrospect Mm -hmm. after those first 10 years, I was using movement as medicine. I didn't know it, but, and there was actually just a, a short list and a lot of the movements are shared with, with belly dance and the shimmy, the shimmy, mm-hmm. the shake, yep. and circling, and mm-hmm. extensions, and extending, and twisting, mm-hmm. and stillness, the mother of all movement. I was using these to, to come home yeah. and to, to heal trauma, but I didn't have language around it until a little over a decade ago. I, after a, a, a very strong health crisis, Mm-hmm. I brought my attention to what the heck have I been doing with dance and really broke it down in a way and got courageous enough to talk about it and become more educated in, in embodiment and trauma. Yeah. And that's when burlesque from the inside out, that's when I finally brought my attention to guiding individuals in a small sacred container mm-hmm. to create their own solos. And perform them because I had been, you know, I was a part of the first wave of the new burlesque. Yeah. And from, you know, I was at the very first festivals and conventions and 
what my experience was there is that I was using my solos as prayers. Mm-hmm. Those three to five minutes on stage in the yep. solo was where I could actually know that I'm not taking up anybody else's time. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking up anyone else's space. This is my moment to unabashedly shine mm-hmm. and move in a way that is truly pleasurable to me and allow as much as I'm willing second to second for somebody else to see me mm-hmm. and to have that reflection of me in my pleasure, in my joy, in my body being safe. Mm-hmm. That was a big answer. I hope I answered what you asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And I'll just kind of expand too. And I think this is a reflection of dance as part of our culture, as well as where the medical culture has shifted, which is kind of the perspective I come to things from. And I think if we if we take a look, a historical look at female sensual dance, we see that you know, throughout history, when we lived in more egalitarian societies, that there was this component of sensual dance that was a much more empowered thing for women. And then when there was a shift in politics and culture and societies towards patriarchal male dominant cultures and society, the dance also shifted. So we went from these beautiful sensual dances that women did as ways to be connected to themselves, to it being more about the male gaze and being performance-based for somebody else. And I think what's so beautiful about everything that you just described and where I think we're going back to both from a culture and dance and movement perspective, as well as what I'm seeing in a paradigm shift in the medical community is this coming back to a more egalitarian or female centric space that is inclusive of intuition and maybe less quantitative, you know, in the more sciencey realm, but in the dance world about having the sort of coming back to our bodies so that we can call them home, if that makes sense. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So can you expand a little bit? On this idea of dance or burlesque as being a tool for being seen and witnessed, and and why is that important? Yeah, thank you. It's a great it's a great question, and I want to say that not every context and not every burlesque show, just because burlesque is being performed, doesn't mean that that's a safe space. The safe right. space gets created by literally who is hosting. Mm-hmm. The venue, the MC, the uh, there's a there's a piece that I it's very important to me is I educate the audience mm-hmm. what their role is. So I will to say because I did mention uh, there was an old there was an old burlesque, there was an original burlesque that was more aimed at the male gaze. It mm-hmm. is this new burlesque movement that started in the '90s because the old burlesque movement had almost completely died out and and the new burlesque movement as it as it came forward had and has it in general a different spin which is much more for the female gaze much more for the artist herself or himself or themselves who's ever performing mm-hmm. but the the audience for me for it to feel really safe and how it can best be utilized as a as an art form and a dance form 
for the true edification of the artist Mm -hmm. is to teach the audience that they're not just there to sit back and decide what they like and to, to analyze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, which is how so many entertainment contexts have that, that sense of here, I'm just here, like, you know, entertain me. Mm-hmm. The way the the way that I educate my audiences is that they're there to have as much of a transformative experience as they're willing and interested in having. Mm-hmm. And to witness someone come alive in front of them, mm-hmm. literally animate, is this amazing gift. And the more that the more alive that someone on stage is, the more that they use their movements and their presence to come alive, it gives the opportunity for the audience members, which I like to call the witnesses, mm-hmm. to come alive themselves. It becomes a mirroring experience. Right. And then in the context of a burlesque show, there is an invitation to actually use your voice and you know to whoop and 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 to make sound and and there is the fourth wall is really thin there's there's a high relationship happening between mm-hmm. the performer and the audience and so the more that the audience i actually have them create intentions okay and to decide what they would like to experience in that time where they're witnessing these artists literally revealing their radiant essence mm-hmm. so it becomes a it's like a mirroring dialogue. Mm -hmm. The artist comes to life a little more and the audience comes to life a little more. And the artist is also actively practicing how much in this exact moment does it feel good to be seen in the way that I'm moving and the way that I'm literally revealing more of my beautiful body. And my encouragement is always Whatever the choreography is, let's say when the chorus comes on the second time, maybe the artist has planned to remove her bra. If she's not feeling it in that moment, if Mm -hmm. in that moment, in that room on that day, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't feel safe, doesn't feel welcoming, doesn't feel like a big yes, change the choreography. Mm -hmm. So to really, it's this coming alive every second in this circumstance where there are people, there are others there, there are others there who are witnessing and they, the primary agency and choice and sovereignty is for the artist. And at this, at this point, you know, for the last two years, all the shows that I produced are online and I actually, I've found like the safety increase because only people who've had some education about what we're doing, like literally they've practiced it themselves, can be there present. So it really ups the ante of it's a crazy safe space. And with mm-hmm. the safety comes the aliveness factor mm-hmm. exponentially grows. And it grows both ways. And so it's just like I become more alive and the audience member becomes more alive. And it's this. It's this aliveness um, ricochet in the best way. Mm-hmm. That's that's beautiful. Can you speak a little bit more? I know you kind of alluded to the act of the striptease. There's certainly a a metaphor 
there for women who choose to partake in that part of the performance. Can you speak a little bit about how that pertains to shedding even psychological layers and how that plays out in the physical performance? Yeah, well, it it, it is, there are literally elements of clothing that are being removed completely, mm-hmm. how many and what completely up to the artist herself, but something, there's some layered revelation happening right. through clothing. But the the more powerful movement, the more powerful revelation is of the spirit. And mm-hmm. this is coming, this is coming through. It is like each layer of the clothing coming off is an actual tangible layer of shame. Mm-hmm. The, the context that it's related to, or the exact tone that will depend on the person, but it, 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 it is a, it's not just a metaphor. It's, it's a, it's a very visceral, literal, yeah. the old layers coming off and the right. old shame coming off. And as the animation is happening, I don't know how to say it more. It's, it, it's the, uh, the meaning gets imbued through the intention of the artist. Right. And, and I think the word intention is something that's I mean, it's, it's making its, its way as more of a permanent fixture and in the cultural narrative that we have in healing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much, I, you can take two identical situations and apply different intentions to them. And they're two completely different things, you know, and I, I think you can see that I've talked about pornography versus erotica before you can have two identical things and, and they're very different. And I think the same is true of performances like this, as you mentioned, there are certainly burlesque acts that are, are done with a very different intention. So I think what you're doing there is beautiful. Can you kind of expand on this notion of where where a lot of women end up being kind of contracted and, and intentionally keeping themselves small because there's this broader cultural idea that women tend to be too much. So we end up suppressing ourselves and making ourselves smaller than what we might like to. Yeah. The my hit on on how how to approach that is actually through direct embodied experience but having it happen very, very incrementally. Mm-hmm. So rather than telling someone it's safe to be you now and to take up space to very concretely actually have, okay, I'm going to play a song for 30 to 40 seconds. And in those 30 to 40 seconds, just so someone doesn't feel like an absolute blank slate, I give mm-hmm. a bone, which is one of those foundational movements. So it's either the shim. Works that doesn't feel so alone in mm-hmm. those thirty to forty seconds. Yeah, but it literally after after some introducing of the people in the room, and there is a felt sense of like kind mm-hmm. in the room. the The woman has a direct experience of having our attention with music and experimenting to the degree that her own nervous system feels comfortable to be her whole self, which according to many, many other standards will absolutely be too much by those other standards. But for her to feel it in just knowing that it's going to be really short, it's that direct experience of, oh my God, 
I, and different people will express it in different ways, but it's the felt sense of actually stepping into that, what otherwise feels too much and not only not dying, mm-hmm, right? Not, but actually it's almost like drinking from your own elixir of life. Uh-huh. So it's that. So I find it, it works best to create the safety and invite someone into the embodied experience and they can then feel, oh my God, they start to recode too muchness as just me mm-hmm. and have an actual nervous system experience of being safe and even celebrated. Hey there, I wanted to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about Muse Headbands. Body literacy is about creating total body, mind, and spiritual wellness. And nervous system fitness is the often overlooked foundation of holistic health. Muse is a brain-sensing neurofeedback headband that utilizes EEG technology that tracks your brain activity while you meditate and translates that activity into guiding sounds to help you quickly and efficiently strengthen your meditation practice so you can experience the full benefits of a calm mind. It's like going to the gym and having a personal trainer for your brain. Muse provides real-time feedback showing you how your heart, breath, and body respond during your meditation sessions. The headband connects to an app on your smartphone and uses real-time soundscape feedback to guide your focus so you can achieve your meditation goals faster while cultivating the mental and physical benefits of a fit nervous system. Meditation is scientifically proven to reduce stress and anxiety, decrease blood pressure, increase sleep quality, control pain, and elicit calm, while deactivating the fight-or-flight response that is a root cause for many mental and physical imbalances. Muse is your fast-track biohacking tool to parasympathetic nervous system activation and a calm, peaceful mind. Just visit the Jen's Favorite Things link at jenmayo.com to order your Muse meditation headband. The products and links shared on this podcast help to make the Body Literacy Podcast possible and your support is always appreciated. So please be sure to use our links and promo codes so we can keep bringing you content to help upgrade your life. And now back to today's episode. And, and that's a big part of what you're doing in creating this safe container for the performance is the ladies walking into is it's not like walking into a cold club they've never been been to before. They know that this specific container has been created for this experience for them. Do you find that that's what makes a significant difference in their level of comfort and being able to express themselves that way? I do. And, you know, before we all started staying home, right. <laughs> I did produce shows in a black box theater, which is a small theater. And we would, people, anybody could, could come get mm-hmm. a ticket and come to see the show. Mm-hmm. So there was a little, there, there, there weren't as many hoops for who's in the room. Right. I still would educate the audience, right? I have noticed that one of the strange silver linings that I never would have predicted or ever chosen had it not come through necessity is mm-hmm. having this experience in, in a zoom room, right. <laughs> where there, where I can actually have a certain, what only people can come who, you know, who have had a bit of training in this and who are consciously 
absolutely coming to support and see these artists in this way. They're coming to have an experience themselves, a transformative Mm -hmm. experience. And there's also something about being able to see everyone's face, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the creation, in the small group creation time, or it's in the actual show time, the level of intimacy has increased. Okay. And I've puzzled on this for a lot of reasons, but I do, yeah, the level of intimacy and the level of intimacy that it provides with the performer with herself, uh-huh. it's, it has increased. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. That's it interesting. Is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not something you had planned on, but not at all. You know, necessity is the, the mother of all invention and it sort of sometimes leads us down creative routes that we weren't expecting. Kind of coming back to this concept of safety, safety, safety is really the root of all health. Um, and I think, you know, from my perspective, what we're seeing, I think in a, a broader way right now is, is a paradigm shift in, in medicine and our understanding of the autonomic nervous system and how nervous system safety plays out in other alchemical ways in our bodies and our physiology is really going to start to be validated in Western sciences. And really the the etymology of the word heal is to make whole. Can you reflect a little bit on your experience with the ladies that you work with on coming into their wholeness? Yes. What's so, I'm, and I'm actually going to use a reframing of a word. I actually don't enjoy the word to perform mm-hmm. because it has so many connotations of I'm doing it for you. I'm doing right. it for, for external validation or to, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm doing it right. And right is according to someone else's checkbox. Right. So this bringing it home to it's staying with the self even if that means stopping right in the middle, mm-hmm. even if that means, so paying, paying attention, not just inviting the artist herself to pay attention, but inviting the whole room who's ever gathered to be paying attention to how I'm using associated as the opposite of dissociated. I don't even know if that, if that is the correct term, but right, right. that's what I'm saying. When I say associated, I mean the opposite of dissociated. So whether it's okay. someone who's witnessing or it's, it's someone who's performing in quotes, mm-hmm. that the highest thing that we're tracking is how does it feel to you to be in your body right now? Are mm-hmm. you still breathing? Where is your pleasure? Did you just leave? Did you just go somewhere else? And how that your sweet attention and the attention of the whole circle is is to gently welcome you back mm-hmm. in your own timing. And that is where it's literally the nervous system is learning where, you know, we dissociate because something happened before. Right. In our life or intergenerationally, you know, and we're literally resolving traumas through having a new experience of, oh my gosh, when I, when I feel that deer in the headlights experience and I'm right there, if I stay with myself and let myself slow down and breathe. And what happens in those moments is it's the most beautiful part of the act because we're actually seeing 
to use language that's less medical and more spiritual, we're seeing the spirit or the soul coming more into focus in a way that can never happen through pushing or performing, or it can only come through just this moment by moment, sweet acknowledgement that if I'm not, if I'm dissociated, if I'm leaving my body, Mm -hmm. only gentleness and only sweet acknowledgement of exactly what's happening will allow me to come home and rewrite my experience and what's possible for how much presence I can feel. It's an expansion of, you know, we find that it's not only joy or higher states of ecstasy that get accessed, but actually even at grief, mm-hmm. grief is able to be felt more because it all comes in, on one continuum. And so there are tears that happen in the creation process. There are tears that happen in the shows mm-hmm. when the acts are being witnessed because it's, it's such a, the felt sense of someone coming home to themselves or mm-hmm. having their nervous system heal. It's, even if someone doesn't know how to talk about it, it has no language about it. They feel it, mm-hmm. you know, because we are humans, what we're only ever looking for a good mirror. Mm-hmm. And when we provide that for each other, we experience, I mean, we know how awful it feels if someone's on stage and, and they're super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We feel that. So when someone's on stage and they're super real, we also feel that. Right. Yeah. You talked about, I, I watched some of the videos that you have online. You talked about, do our bodies belong to ourselves or the society that we belong to? Can you speak a little bit about sort of this sense of permission that maybe women acquire or transfer from having been to an outside source back to themselves through this process? I'm going to credit Emily because it was beautiful artist, Emily, who actually said that, but I agree with that sentiment and I, and I have thoughts about that. I think it's so sneaky and so many different ways that we let's, let's be optimistic that until now, because we are writing it, you, Jen, and me, and those of us, we are rewriting the experience for going forward and yay for that. But it's just like an onion, the so many layers of how we've been talked out of or hypnotized out of understanding that this I'm touching. If you can't see me, I'm touching my sweet cheeks on my face. Now I'm, I'm touching my, my upper chest. Like this is my body, mm-hmm. but there are, it's, it's, I'm still unlearning the many sneaky ways that I've learned that this is not my body, that I am an object. This process of me moving from object to subject Mm -hmm. is still in process. It's been a massive millennia long brainwashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that women have been conditioned. And I think one of the ladies in, in one of your videos expressed this sentiment as well, that women have been conditioned to believe that their bodies are for someone else's pleasure, not for their own. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think anything that brings them back to that, can you kind of expand on what does embodiment have to do that with that and how much, 
how much time have we spent in this dissociative, you know, being in our, our head space rather than inhabiting our, our bodies? And how does that play out in the way that our lives frequently get muddled with, with things that are not serving our best, highest selves? Yeah. Oh, such a good, you are such a good question asker. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Talk with you because this Thank is the territory that I, I I live in. So to get to actually say it out loud, it right, right, so, so wonderful, so much gratitude. I I used to think until about five years ago or so that I would have guessed that maybe thirty percent of the time I'm actually that I was actually enacting my own will mm-hmm. and you know moving from my own agency and, you know, in order to do that, yeah, I have to be in my body because I have to have all my information. Mm -hmm. And then when I first learned about drip, drip trauma, Mm -hmm. developmental or complex PTSD was around five years ago. Yeah. And I actually realized, my goodness, it's not 30%. It's more like one to 3% of the time that I, at that point, that I was actually moving from my own will. So it's, it's sneaky, tricky to, in the awakening process, which I really believe dance is one of dance and conscious movement and witnessing each other mm-hmm. in conscious movement is one of the primary ways that, that we awaken. However you want to describe awaken, it almost doesn't matter. I'll probably say, yep, that kind and that kind, all right. those varieties the body just doesn't lie. It doesn't do a good job lying at all. So the, the more I, I propose that we, as a people, especially as highly sensitive people, mm-hmm. and it tends to be that when we start out highly sensitive, and I'm, I'm referring to highly sensitive person as was first researched and written about by Eileen Aaron, we tend to actually then not just have the the highly the highly sensitive experience as our baseline, but we tend to actually collect more traumas. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> we're the canaries in the coal mine. Yes, and it it becomes I think in the journey of most highly sensitive folks, at least living in these years that I've been alive mm-hmm. and, and going forward again, make we are paving a new way that this living in in a non-embodied state becomes what feels like the safest way to be. Mm-hmm. And it becomes from our, from nature and nurture, both mm-hmm. we're set up to literally become just frozen, frozen into trauma. Yeah. And this process, you know, it, it, it gets to, it gets to the point that maybe we're, our body's breaking down from autoimmune illness or, we're so incapacitated by our frozenness that we're not professionally or personally reaching what we truly desire to. It gets to such a pain point that mm-hmm. we find whatever way we find. And usually it's a number of ways. Hopefully there's some embodiment in there because that's a massive, as highly sensitive folks, even before we have any direct trauma, we're already living so far above and outside our body because we're sensing what's happening not just in the neighborhood around us, we're feeling whole continents mm-hmm. and don't yet have the ability to just drop, drop into our own body and know, oh my gosh, this is my physical sensation. This is my emotion. You know, that 
And it, it's just a process. So to come into embodiment, starting from this place of being a highly sensitive person, it I'm not going to lie. This is, this is not a weekend workshop fix. This right. is, this is a whole new life orientation, but I will say great and quick effects can be felt mm-hmm. through dance and movement. And it also needs a container of being seen right. in some context or another to continue because it's, it's a real unlearning and relearning mm-hmm. both through our minds and our nervous systems and bodies of how to be, how to be human and to actually live in our body. And and I think with where the culture has shifted in the last several hundred years, maybe that kind of goes back to the the shift of patriarchy too, as we've gotten so cerebral. And I think dance is such a beautiful way to reconnect with intuition. And I think what we've kind of lost in this very heady kind of mentality that we have is that we tend to think entirely in words. And we think if there aren't actual words to articulate whatever it is, usually that we're trying to quantify that it's not valid. And I always start off my workshops with doing sort of my own little solo performance, but with no plan going into it and just letting my body move. However, the music tells it to move. And then I'll stop the music and I'll say, what just happened here? And that kind of opens up a dialogue with the ladies about the fact that I wasn't thinking about how my body was going to move. I didn't say my left foot is going to go over here. My arms are going to move this way. I'm going to shimmy, whatever. I just let my body tune into its intuition and move in a way that did not need any kind of cerebral instruction. So I think that dance is such an incredible tool. And if, if we look to many of our ancient ancestors, which we, you know, we still have relics with in indigenous cultures that have maintained their traditions throughout time, dance was such an integral part of community and that sort of nonverbal expression that we seem to have lost connection with. And I, I do see this sort of beautiful resurgence of it, particularly in the female community. And that was that was largely what was really caught my attention about your program. It just seems like such a, a lovely way to help people reconnect with that intuitive knowing versus an externally validated knowing and coming home to yourself and just trusting the intuition that you already know that doesn't necessarily need words to explain it. What can, what can you say about the, about dance as a tool for vulnerability and why is that important? I first just want to say, I love that you begin workshops and groups like that. And I knew, and I mean, we both sense so much in common. That's how we actually create our solos. We start with absolute, just pure improvisation. Yeah. I just call it, I call it catching gold. And Uh so that's just beautiful. Just there. And, and you'd ask about vulnerability and Mm -hmm. remind me that the angle just. Yeah. I mean, just dance, especially this type of dance, I think really brings us back to the concept of vulnerability. And I think so many of us have become scared of stepping into that space and how is this a a tool for recultivating that and why is it important to embrace vulnerability? Yeah. Be on purpose, inviting other humans to see us, whether we're just standing there Mm -hmm. or 
we're dancing and moving and removing clothing Mm -hmm. because it's this conscious invitation of now you get to see me. Mm-hmm. The vulnerability is, well, this is hard to talk about because I actually step into it and I feel it. Right. I think it, it, it hinges for it to feel good, for it to not be the kind of thing that someone afterwards would have a vulnerability hangover, mm-hmm. for it to actually feel good and afterwards someone to feel bolstered in their sense of self mm-hmm. afterwards, this, this tracking but I'm, it, it, it's, it's an intuitive tracking, but mm-hmm. it is a tracking that like every second that I'm, uh, I'm inviting someone to actually see me, that I'm checking, am I, what's going on in the back is, am I home? Am I home? Am I home? Am I home? And it's that, that is the key practice. Yeah. And if I'm continuing to be home, that means I'm tracking that I'm in a state of safety. Mm-hmm safe to fully express or express as much as is comfortable. Yeah. Then the vulnerability, it feels good because I'm revealing in a way that I'm, it's almost like I'm consenting every second. It's like, here's my consent and here's my consent and here's my consent. And then the people witnessing me, they are also in their own way. They're consenting to see me. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, it's almost like a call, like here I, it's almost like I'm saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. Mm -hmm. And the audience is responding with, so glad you are, Mm -hmm. so glad you are, so glad you are. Mm -hmm. And so then this vulnerability, what it becomes more beautiful is the more I'm comfortable to be me, the more I'm going to be me. And the more I shine out my own particular stardust radiant essence, which you know, just like our fingerprints are, there's no two, no two thumbprints alike. There's no two person prints alike. Mm-hmm. So the more I turn up the volume in a way that respects, am I here? Yeah, I'm here. Cool. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to shine my own light a little bit more, mm-hmm. whether that's through shimmying my shoulders. It's really, the truth is the shimmying helps and maybe removing the glove or removing the skirt or whatever it is that helps, but it really is an internal state. Mm-hmm. And it's this internal state that as I reveal more and more, and I'm saying yes to me, and those witnessing are saying yes to me, mm-hmm. that's where vulnerability is generative and life-giving and homecoming promising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back to this idea of consent. And I I love what you just said about saying yes. I think there's so much that can be learned through this experience about asserting our yes and asserting our no and how both of those balance out. You have to be able to assert your no in order to really have a resounding yes. How, How does this embodiment practice help women to express that better. Yeah. It's funny. I, I created a one woman show that it's not a dancing show. It's actually, it's meta. It's about how I came to use burlesque as a spiritual practice and as a homecoming and to create secure attachment. And it's easier to write for it to be understood, but it's the title is I know, Mm -hmm. and I'll spell it. I K 
open parenthesis N O close parenthesis W. Uh huh. Double meaning of I know, like mm-hmm. I I understand, and I N O, mm-hmm. and very very much this. It has performing performing burlesque has been a primary way that I have been ex. I've been at the learn how to say no gym, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes in the simple way of literally. First of all, do I bring myself onto stage? That's a yes or a no, mm-hmm. right? Right. I don't have to get out there. So my getting out there is my first knowing yes. And then I feel how it feels to be in that space. And I move and act and dance. If things are going well, and this is doing what I'm intending it to do, I'm following my yes and no every second. Mm-hmm. And it's happening not just on a gross level of clothing coming off or what movement I'm showing. Mm-hmm. It's an internal state of how much I'm letting, this is hard to talk about. We don't have language around this yet. Yeah. It's getting to the point where you like, to your point of, thank goodness we don't only have, things are true that we don't yet have words for. We will right. eventually have those words when it becomes important to enough people to communicate it and we notice right. it together. But this, this internal state of, I, I talk about these knobs. It's like, I'm literally turning the knob of, you can see me a little bit more mm-hmm. and I'm going to experience a little more of my own pleasure. And mm-hmm. I'm literally toggling these knobs. And that's my response to noticing what I'm saying yes or no to. Mm-hmm. And the more comfortable I am, the more of my, yes, you get to see me in my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that kind of comes back to that self-awareness factor. I think so many of us have spent so much time, especially as busy moms and wives and so forth, of not having an awareness of our yes and no, like they're just kind of on autopilot. And I think having an experience like this makes you so much more acutely aware of when you're just doing the autopilot thing versus having a very resounding, meaningful yes or no. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, it is. I I do agree. Like when it, of the automatic piece and that's the percentage that I, that I gave of my own, like I was on automatic about 90%, 97% of the time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm probably closer to the 70, 30, which I thought I was at before. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So this automatic, the truth is it takes a lot more. I mean, to wake up every second. Mm -hmm. And to, to not just do automatic, it, it takes energy. It yeah. takes energy. It just literally takes calories. <laughs> right, right. It's a lot easier to just default into automatic. So yeah, it's a real but practice, but so worth mm-hmm. it. So worth it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think, or could you elaborate on if, if women have not tried, or I guess you've probably worked with men too, but if people have not practiced a dance practice like this before for personal growth, what would you, what are the the biggest benefits you think they would get out of stepping out of their comfort zone to try it? Yeah. The felt sense of being yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a child of the seventies, you know, free to be you and me to experience, to experience on a, on experiential level. need a new verb, but right. This actually being yourself, it's, it's, there's nothing sweeter. Mm -hmm. It's just nothing sweeter. And the truth is I find it's, there's a lot less unlearning 
in the process of creating a conscious solo of any kind, burlesque or otherwise, there's a lot less unlearning for folks who don't have a lot of dancer performance mm-hmm. experience. There's when someone has a lot of dancer performance experience, there are extra layers to unlearn because usually their muscle has really been tightly trained to perform to someone else's standards. And so right. when someone's coming in new without without a lot of experience in the in this, there's a lot more clean slate. And would you describe this as a, a process of reclamation? Absolutely. Hmm. That's a really good word. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, great. Are there any other things that I haven't touched on already that you feel would be important for our audience to understand about your process or burlesque or dance in general? Oh, Jen, let's just schedule another time because this is so rich and juicy and yes, there's more, but this feels like just a delicious morsel for today. Absolutely. 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 I'm so happy that our paths have crossed and I'm oh, me so too. excited for the kindred, the kindred spirit. And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I love what you're doing and absolutely keep it up. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about the burlesque from the inside out program or anything else that you might be working on? My online home is showgirlawakening.com. Okay. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. That's where Burlesque from the Inside Out program lives, and and even the a, a book and the the show. You know, there's resources. Go have fun, swim yeah. around. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. I love it. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll definitely have to continue the conversation another time. I'm sure we're both working on some projects that will uh, have some interesting intersections at some point in the future. Thank you, Jen. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any statements and views expressed by myself or my guests are not medical advice. The opinions of guests are their own and the Body Literacy Podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. If you have a medical problem, please consult a qualified and competent medical professional. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and sign up for updates over at genmayo.com. 